This is the Christian Life Center podcast. Here at CLC, we are messengers of hope, where we believe in taking God's message of hope everywhere we go to everyone we meet. From wherever you are, be encouraged by this week's message. Well, listen, we've been in a series. Just before we pray for the word, I want to give you a little bit of a background on what we're going to be talking about here today. Or today, excuse me. We've been in a series called, He Shall Be Called. He Shall Be Called. And what we've been unpacking and what we've been um, trying to understand more is the prophetic words that Isaiah gave us in Isaiah chapter 9 as to the names of Jesus. That he would be called multiple things. And the reasons he would be called those things is what we've been unpacking. We talked about in the first week how he is our wonderful counselor. That in times of trouble we can go to him. In times of uncertainty and doubt we can go to him. And he will counsel us and help us and lead us and guide us in every circumstance. Come on, has anybody received that and believed that here today? We learned also from Pastor Tom a couple weeks ago that he is our mighty God. That he is powerful, that he is strong. That in every single circumstance, we can trust in him and rely on him in every single circumstance, in every situation. He is our mighty God. Come on, does anybody believe that here today? And today, we're going to be digging out a little bit more of Isaiah chapter 9. And I want us to read Isaiah 9 here, specifically starting in verse 2, all the way to verse 7. Yes, I just said we're going to read like five or six verses. So here's what I would like for you to do, if you could right now. Grab your notes. Uh, if you got it on the way in, pull that out right now. If you don't have it, I encourage you to pull out the, our app right now. You can get it digitally on our app store. Just search Christian Life Center. Uh, and open up your, your word, open up the notes, and let's go to Isaiah chapter 9. And as we've been unpacking this and looking at the prophetic names of Jesus, I think it's appropriate for us to go back and read the context of this chapter before we dive into his next name. Because something I know and something I firmly believe is that as Isaiah was prophesying to the people of God then, I firmly believe his word still stands true to us today. Come on, are you hearing what I'm saying? So as we read this, I want you to think about the day and age that we live in. Because again, I believe Isaiah wasn't just talking to them. I believe he's talking to us too. And it says here in Isaiah chapter 9, looking at verse 2, it says, The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in the land of deep darkness, a light will shine. You will enlarge the nation of Israel, and its people will rejoice. They will rejoice before you. As people rejoice at the harvest and like warriors dividing the plunder. For you will break the yoke of their slavery and lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. You will break the oppressor's rod. Just as you did when you destroyed the army of Midian. The boots of the warrior and the uniforms blood stained by war and all will be burned. They will all be fuel for the fire. And here's why. For a child is born to us. A son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders and he will be called, you know it, Wonderful Counselor, 
mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and his peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all of eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of heaven's armies will make this happen. Come on, has anybody received God's word here today? You see, here we see one of the many messianic prophecies of Jesus' arrival to the earth. In its language, it's, it's very intentional. Isaiah says here that a child, a son will be given. Somebody say given. Son, a child will be given to us. And since the government will be on his shoulders, he will rightly bear the great names due to him. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Today, we're going to take the opportunity to understand more how Jesus is our everlasting father so would you pray with me as we bless God's word today father we ask you right here right now that you would help all of us to stay focused on your word here today pray God with any situation with any circumstance with any issue that people have walked inside to this place with or maybe has started tuning in online in this moment Pray, God, that they would release it to you right now. Whatever thoughts, whatever doubts, whatever worry, whatever issues, whatever circumstances, God, we pray right now, Lord Jesus, you would help all of us to see and to know that you are here right now in this moment. And Father, we ask for you to reveal your truth, reveal your word in a loving, honest, and upright way, Lord God so that we can be transformed by your truth. Help us to hear your word and not just be hearers, but also doers, God. Then we walk out of here, we walk out of here different with a new mindset, a new mentality, new decisions and new actions, a new way of living. We bless your name, Lord God, and we know that you can do it. We pray all these things in your great name. And everybody said, amen, amen. Listen, if you know anything about me, I've learned a long time ago that this preaching thing is not a one-way conversation. It's a two-way conversation. So if, if you hear something that encourages you, that blesses your spirit, I, I encourage you to, to say something back. Say, come on, let's go. Yeah. Amen. All right. Bring in Puerto Rican pastor. Let's go. Whatever it is, you, you might not know how something that is encouraging you might also encourage somebody next to you as well. Now, as we dive into this, listen, at the very beginning... I've got to get some educational things out of the way. Because if you're like me and you start to read the scriptures and something doesn't make sense to you, you have to stop and pause for a moment and say, God, why does it say that? So I, I read this passage and I got to tell you, I'm just going to be honest, I'm not the smartest person in the room. I, 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 wow, thank you. For those of you online that didn't hear that, I said I'm not the smartest person in the room and somebody amen me. <laughs> amen, brother, yes. So me knowing that I'm not the smartest person in the room, I got to take an opportunity and dive deep and do some research. Because, listen, when I read this passage, it brought me some confusion. Isaiah is prophesying 
Jesus being called the everlasting father. But isn't there three persons in the Trinity, the Godhead? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? How could Jesus, the Son, be referred to as Father? Does it confuse anybody else too? You're with me, thank you. Some other non-smart people in the room. <laughs> well, as I was diving into this to try to understand and try to get some edu- edu- educational things and foundational things out of the way for us so we can fully dive into more of this. As I was doing my research, I uncovered this. You see, the eternal fatherhood of Jesus might confuse the reader of this passage when they consider that Jesus is the son of God. How could he be the everlasting father as well? Most likely this passage is not referring to the first person of the Godhead, but it refers instead to the sense of ongoing everlasting rule of King Jesus over his people. Now, here's what I mean even further. Now, to further understand why Isaiah would use this vocabulary, we have to go all the way back to the Hebrew. The Hebrews used the term father in a great variety of senses. As a literal father, a grandfather, an ancestor, a ruler, and an instructor. The literal translation from the Hebrew in this passage is from everlasting father is actually Father of eternity. This describes Jesus, not as the possessor of eternity, because that's God the Father has possession of the eternity. But he, Jesus is the one who continually acts as the eternal father to his people. Warren Weiserby said this, Everlasting father does not suggest that the son is also the father, for each person in the God has, is distinct. The father of eternity is a better translation. Among the Jews, the father means originator or source. For example, Satan is the father of lies. So Satan is the originator of lies. So if you want anything eternal, you must get it from Jesus Christ. Because he is the father of eternity. You see, Jesus is a father with respect to those who were given to him as his children and offspring in covenant through his sacrifice on the cross. To those who are adopted into God's family, to those who are regenerated by his spirit and grace, born again through his spirit, to these people, his children, Jesus is an everlasting father. You see, earthly kings and leaders leave their people after a short reign. But Jesus will reign over and bless his people forever and ever and ever because he is our everlasting father. Come on, does anybody believe and receive that here today? Now, with that understanding and that education out of the way for our foundation, we have to understand even more so the distinction with God and Jesus. We cannot lose sight, though, that God the Father and God the Son are in and of each other. Here's what I mean. John chapter 10. Look at your notes. John chapter 10. Jesus' words, and this is what he says. 
He says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life. You hear that? The father of eternity gives us eternal life and they will never perish. No one can snatch them away from me. Come on, somebody. For my father has given them to me and he is more powerful than anyone else. No one can snatch them from the father's hand. And this is what he says. The father and I are what? One. Jesus and God is one. And with this truth, we can know that the characteristics and attributes that Jesus Christ has stems from God himself. That's why we see in Hebrews, look at your notes again. Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3. The son, Jesus, radiates God's own glory and expresses the very what? Character of God. And he sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. You see, Jesus Christ possesses all of the divine attributes and he couldn't be the exact expression of God without being God as well. The author of Hebrews here in this passage heartily agrees with John in John chapter 1 verse 1 and Paul in Philippians chapter 2 verse 6 that Jesus is God. And not only does he bear all the attributes of the deity, he also sustains all things by his powerful word. He's the creative power of God as well as, as the sustaining power of God. Now with that understanding, with that truth, can I sit, tell somebody here today that needs to hear this? With Jesus understanding that he is having the power of our creative God. And he has a sustaining power of God. Listen, you might have walked in here today feeling like your life is coming apart. But let me remind you, if Jesus Christ has the power to keep a universe from unraveling, he has the power to hold you together too. If Jesus was there at the very beginning when God spoke a word and said, let there be light. And the universe spun into motion. And since that time, his power has been able to sustain the stars in the sky, the planets, the universes, the cosmic forces that are around us. If he's able to sustain that, how much more can he sustain you in your circumstances? Our everlasting father has the power to do what is necessary in your life. He can hold you together. When you feel like things are falling apart, he's the glue that you need to keep it all together. You don't have to worry. You don't have to fret. You don't have to doubt. You don't have to question. All you have to do is run to the everlasting Father that has the power to keep it all together. Come on, somebody say amen to that today. So in this, as we know that Jesus is actually being described as the father of eternity for those who have been gifted to him as his children through the covenant, through the cross. And he and God are one through the Trinity as well. We can know that the same fatherly characteristics and actions that we hear about from God through his word, that the father expresses, Jesus expresses the same towards us as well. So this is how Jesus is a father to us. We're going to start writing now in our notes even more. So write this down. As our everlasting father, Jesus offers first thing, protection. 
protection. As our everlasting Father, Jesus offers us protection. Psalm chapter 121, verses 7 through 8 says this. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and your going, both now and forevermore. Come on, does anybody receive that? The best way I enjoy visualizing this, because if you know anything about me, I think in pictures. Whenever somebody talks to me, I'm already thinking in pictures. And I think about God's protection. I think about the storms that we face in life. And especially here in South Florida, we know about storms, don't we? We know about strong storms. <laughs> and in the midst of having these strong storms, we have rules and regulation codes that help us to create structures that no matter what type of category four storms come, we can be safe inside of a structure that can handle those storms. We don't have to worry about what might happen around us in the middle of a hurricane because if you're in a structure that can sustain those winds, you're living fine. Now, you might be without power. But as long as you're not in a flood. <laughs> I think about it in the same way. That once we give our life to Jesus and he comes and wraps his loving arms around us. It's like whatever storm of life wants to hit us. It could be a category four or five or anything more than that. Any storm, any issue, any problem of life can try its best. But we are wrapped up in the loving arms of our Father that tells us, I'm protecting you. I'm guiding you. I'm here for you. You don't have to worry. I think about the situation on the boat with the disciples. I think about when he went out with the disciples on the boats and a storm, a massive storm hit the boat. They all started to worry. They all started to panic. And they all ran to Jesus and Jesus, don't you care if we die? And what was Jesus doing? Chilling. He was doing one of my favorite things, taking a nap. Why? Because he knows the power and the authority that he holds. So listen, what I love about that story and what we're talking about right now, you cannot forget in the storms of life when your boat is going back and forth, who is in the boat with you? Because as soon as they woke him up, he stood up in the midst of all the turbulence and all the issues, he went right to the front of the boat and he said, be still. And everything calmed down. Run to your father. He offers you protection. He offers you what you need in this moment. He offers you calmness and stillness. He offers you that when the fiery darts of the enemy trumpet come against you, he will raise up a standard so that you will not be harmed by it. He is our protection. Come on, somebody say protection. The Lord is our shelter. He protects us from all manner of evil, physical and spiritual. He guards his people from all harm, whether by day or night, whether they are coming or going. If you submit yourself to God's kingdom, you too are able to receive the blessings of his covenantal protection. So Jesus, as our everlasting father, not only protects us, gives us protection, but he also gives us provision. Write that down. He gives us provision. 
Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. Paul writes, and this same God who takes care of me, Paul, will supply all your needs. From his glorious riches, which have been given to us in who? In Christ Jesus, our everlasting Father. You see, be reminded today that our Lord and King cares about your needs. You might have thought today that he's forgotten you. He hasn't. You might have thought that he does not care anymore. He still does. He desires to provide and care for you like you do not even know. Don't look to man for what you need. Look to the one who can supply all your needs. I think too many times we look to our bosses, we look to family, we look to people in government, we look to leadership around us, we look to everything around us in the horizontal and we forget about who lives in the vertical. Stop looking around you for the provision that you need in your life. It's not going to come by anything from this earth. Money's not going to help you. Well, Pastor Christian, you don't understand the bills I have. You don't understand the amount of presents I need to buy for Christmas. You don't understand money helps run the world. I get it. But who actually runs the world? Who, who made the trees that make the paper that make the money? Come on, somebody. Who made the minerals that gets put together by our intellect to make the car that you drive? The supplier of everything is our everlasting father. So don't look to the left or to the right. Look above to where your help comes from. Because he is the provider of everything you could ever need. And let me tell you, it's not just about the physical, tangible needs you might have. I'm not just talking about money and resources. I'm also talking about your health. I'm also talking about your emotions. I'm also talking about your spirit and your soul. Whatever you need holistically, our everlasting Father can provide that for you. Don't think twice about that. Don't try to make things happen on your own. Go to our everlasting Father who is our provider. Come on, somebody say amen to that. He offers protection, provision. Here's the next one. You're going to love this one. Discipline. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 through 6 says this. It says, my child, pay attention when the Lord disciplines you. Don't give up when he corrects you. Uh. The Lord disciplines everyone he loves. He severely disciplines everyone he accepts as his child. Wow. He severely disciplines. Other translation says he punishes those that he loves. Listen, discipline includes both instruction and correction. Parents are to instruct their children and train them to live with wisdom, just like it says in Proverbs chapter 1. But when a child is disobedient, a loving father also disciplines him. 
whether through instruction or correction, the end goal is for the child's development. Our Lord is a perfect parent who disciplines his children perfectly. Now, I got to be honest with you. Reading this passage and understanding more of this characteristic of our everlasting father, it's a tough pill to swallow at times. This idea of discipline is a tough thing. Because I remember growing up, when I was disciplined, I hated it. Hated it. Because what? Our, our default posture growing up is you don't know what you're talking about. You, you don't, my mom and dad don't understand. They don't get it. They don't live my life. They don't know what I face and what I go through. So when my dad corrects me or my mom corrects me, oh, you just don't get it. And a rebellious spirit starts rising up within me. I've got this figured out. I know what to do. So whether, regardless of what you try to tell me what to do or not, I'm going to go do that. And it wasn't until I got older and I had children of my own that I went back to my mom and dad. I said, I'm so sorry. <laughs> mom, I'm so sorry for all the grief and the issues that I gave you. For all the attitude and the back talk that I gave you. Dad, I'm sorry for those moments. For those moments that I felt like I knew it all. When I actually didn't. Because what I realized later on in life. Is that they had my best interest in mind. They cared about me. They loved me enough to say, Christian, you did this wrong. So here's the punishment. With every single thing, there is some kind of reaction or a consequence that comes with it, whether good or bad. Especially in those moments when we need to be corrected and disciplined. Can I tell you, it's good for you. So when God tells you no, it's good for you. I know it's hard sometimes because we'll go to him in prayer and say, God, you know the desires of my heart. You know I need blank, blank, blank. And you just start going all down through this list. And God says, I understand. But I know exactly what you need. And it's not that. But God, you have no idea. I need a spouse right now. I saw this young man over at church. And he was worshiping Jesus. And God, I just sensed your spirit. I was talking to him the other day, God. And he asked me if I would pray with him. He's got to be the one, God. God, make this happen. And God's looking at you as, oh, boo-boo. He ain't it. But he loves you. That's what you think. I know what happens when he leaves church. There's so many see things that we see with our eyes that we think that we need, that we think we know what the answer is. But God is telling you have no idea. That job you took that was going to give you more money and you felt like it was going to be the answer to your situation and problems. God allowed a certain individual to be a thorn in your side because you know that you weren't supposed to be there in the first place. You were chasing money. 
And God is like, wait a second. Come back. Come back. Come back. You think you know what is right. You think you know what you should be doing. But I, as your loving, everlasting father, I'm going to tell you, that's not it. And until you come back to me, it's not going to be easy. So am I telling you you're going through hardships because of sin in your life and issues and all that stuff? Maybe. All I can tell you right now in this moment is if God is telling you no or if God has clearly told you to do something and you're disobeying it, there will be consequences. And we can read that throughout scripture. I don't have time. I could go through Genesis all the way to Revelation. And the amount of people that heard from God, knew what God was saying, had a clear understanding of what was going on, read in his word what we should and shouldn't have been doing and still went against it. Tough times. Tough, tough times. But what I love about God is that he'll let you experience the tough times. He says, listen, when you're ready, when you're ready, just like the story of the prodigal son, you might go off and think you know what needs necessary for your life. You might think you know the, all the answers and do all you want. But when this life runs you dry, here I am. Here I am. And I will teach you the ways you need to go. I will teach you the things you need to do. I will teach you how this life needs to go. But you need to listen to me. Listen to my correction and listen to my discipline. Protection, provision, discipline connects right to the discipline. He offers forgiveness. 1 John chapter 1 verse 9 says, but if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all what? Come on, say it louder. All what? Wickedness. You see, Jesus is in the business of forgiveness and restoration. He died so we can have our sins washed away. He is the reason we can have a relationship with God and one day spend eternity with him. You see, Jesus desires to embrace and love us just as we are. But he loves you too much to leave you that way. His forgiveness is the pathway for our growth and our transformation. He wants to embrace you just as you are. He loves you just as you are. But can I tell you, he loves you too much to let you stay that way. Because there's far greater purposes and plans that he has for your life. And for you to accomplish what God has for you in the path and the promises that he has for you. He needs you to no longer be the same person you are today. Am I saying you're a bad person? That's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is that he wants to take us from glory to glory to glory. And in order for that to happen, you've got to grow. You've got to grow. And he offers you forgiveness that as you grow, you might have issues and missteps along the way, but he promises to pick you up every single time. All he asks is to not go back that same way again. This is where discipline and forgiveness work together. Our everlasting Father offers protection, provision, discipline, forgiveness. Next thing is guidance. Guidance. James chapter 1 verse 5 says, If you need wisdom, 
Ask our generous God. And he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. Can I tell you, no question with God is a dumb question. None. If you need guidance or you need wisdom, he will not rebuke you for coming to him for that. It doesn't matter how big or how small the situation might be or the question might be. He wants to guide you. Psalm 32 verse 8 says, the Lord says, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. I will advise you and watch over you. So what should we do when trouble begins? Pray. Ask him for wisdom, which is the ability to apply spiritual truth to life circumstances. Jesus promises to give you wisdom to respond to your trials with maximum spiritual benefit. I think something we've really got to adjust and change in our life is prayer needs to be our first response and not our last resort. I think too many times we wait until everything is falling apart, that our world is on fire, then we, God, I need you. Jesus, help me. I'm drowning. I wonder before you even got onto the boat, if you would ask him, hey, which direction should we go? Too many times we allow prayer to be our last resort instead of our first response. That before we even walk into our jobs, we ask God, what do you want from me today? Before we spend time with our family, God, help me to love my family. Before I make my decision about my finances, God, what do you want me to do? How about a better question? How generous do you want me to be, God? If you need wisdom, ask. If you need guidance, ask. But can I tell you, when you ask, be ready to get an answer. And even though you do not like the answer, doesn't mean you should walk away from that answer. Because I think too many times we do this too. We go to God to prayer. God, help me. God, help me. And he tells you, we'll do this, this, and this. And he's, you're like, I see what you're saying. But I don't know. And God's like, wait a second. Wait a second. You came to me. So now you're going to try to talk me out of the answer? I'm reminded of the conversation that God had with Moses at the burning bush. God came and called Moses and said, Moses, you're supposed to free your people. In layman's terms, paraphrasing here, I'm condensing it. He says, you're supposed to free your people. I need, to go, I need you to be the mouthpiece to go to Mer or Pharaoh and make it happen. Moses is like, okay, but God, maybe not me, maybe, maybe somebody else. I have an issue speaking. I'm not, and he goes over multiple times. I, go, I encourage you to go back and read that in Exodus. Multiple times he tries to give God reasons as to why he's not the guy. Until the end, it feels like God got frustrated. And he said, but who's the one that made you? Who's the one that knows everything? Who is it? Is it not I? And then he tells him, I am that I am. It's one of those moments where... You try to have an argument with somebody and they give you that, that trump card at the end and you're just like, okay. There might be doubt or concerns on the inside of you, uncertainty on the inside of you, but you know who spoke. 
And if he's giving you guidance and if he's giving you wisdom and if he's giving you an answer, he's giving you a promise, he's giving you a plan, stop trying to argue with him. Stop trying to reason with him and justify why that plan was not going to work. You're not God. You're not our everlasting father. He wants to guide you. He wants to give you the answers. So once he gives it to you, make sure you run with it. Make sure you obey. And lastly here, as our everlasting father, Jesus provides love. Love. Romans chapter 5 verse 8 says, God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. I love that passage because it reminds me, even at my worst, Jesus still died for me. That while I was running from him, while I was unworthy of his bloodshed, while I did not deserve his sacrifice, he did it for me anyways. And that's why 1 John chapter 4 is so critical for us about learning his love. It says, all who declare that Jesus is the son of God have God living in them and they live in God. We know how much God loves us and we have put our trust in his love. Because why? God is what? And all who live in love live in God. And God lives in them. You see, Jesus' unending love for us should be an ever-present reminder that he will watch over us both now and forever. The everlasting status of Jesus' rule is not something created after the resurrection. If we take the, seriously the scriptures and how they inform us as to the true person of Jesus, then we can see that how he rules over us now is just the outflow of his fatherly leading that will last for all of eternity as our everlasting father. You see, now with Jesus being the everlasting father and how he loves us as everlasting father, we must designate ourselves as his children and ultimately the children of God. In Romans, Paul helps us to understand what it means to be his children. And we're going to close with unpacking this passage here. Romans chapter 8. Look at your notes. Look at your Bible. Romans chapter 8, verse 14 reminds us that if he is our everlasting father and we are, is, are his children, it reminds us of how we should live. It says, for all who are led by the spirit are children of God. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. So looking at this passage... This is how we should live as his children. As children of the everlasting father, first thing, write this down. We are led by the spirit. Romans chapter 8 verse 14 said it clearly to us. For all who are led by the spirit are who? Come on, say it louder, are who? 
children of God. Which simply means this. If we are being led by the Spirit, we surrender to his will. Write that down. If we are being led by the Spirit, we, it means that we should surrender to his will. You see, if we walk according to the Spirit as God desires, we prove ourselves to be God's children. Have you guys seen the electric cars on the road? Has anybody seen electric cars? So doing my research a few years ago, I, I did some study as to the electric cars and how they function and the computer chips they have. It's, it's some amazing technology, amazing technology. I've, I was able to get in one, and I, I, when I was driving it, um, I was informed that it has this thing called autopilot. Have you heard about this, autopilot? And basically what happens in these smart cars, because it's just a, it's a driving computer, is that you'll hit a button and the car drives for you. I'm serious. Like you'll get in the car, you'll hit a button, you'll let go of the steering wheel, you'll see the steering wheel doing this on the road. I don't know about you, but that, that's scary. Very scary. I remember the first time I tried it, I was there on the road and I was on the highway. I was on turnpike, heading north. As I was heading north, you know, you can't go slow on the highway. There's no going slow on the highway. And if you start to go slow on the highway, somebody will honk at you from behind. This is South Florida. So I'm on the road and I wanted to try this thing to see how it works because they said it really works best on the highway. So as soon as I hit it, it's, it's, it's like a, a stock that comes off on the side. You go, doom, doom, and the car just, you, you feel this thing will lock up, and you just got to let go. And what you'll see is as the car's going at like 60, 70 miles an hour, as a, bit, a turn comes, the steering wheel starts to do this. And you're just now a passenger. You're no longer a driver. You're now just a passenger, but a nervous passenger. I remember when I first turned that on and I saw the thing doing it. Because I didn't, I didn't trust the car. You know what I'm saying? I didn't trust the car. I, I saw it turning and then it, was, it, was, it does this thing too. Uh, it's also like wrapped into it in the autopilot. It's like smart cruise control that it, you'll set it at a certain speed. And then when it starts getting closer to a car in front of you, it will automatically start slowing down. So I'm driving like 70 miles an hour on the highway. This thing's bending and turning. And now a slowdown starts happening in front of me. What do you think I did? Because I didn't trust the car. But then I turned it back on. I let it go. And then another slowdown happened. I said, all right, I got to trust this thing. So I let it happen. And the car just starts to slow down by itself. Slow down, slow down, slow down, slow down. I learned in that moment that sometimes my intellect, my logic can rob me of a good experience or something that I should learn in that moment. Listen, I know we have questions about technology, but that car has like seven to eight cameras and I have two eyes. <laughs> this car is smarter than me. This car is registering, processing more information per second than I ever could. 
So why don't I trust in it? We treat God the same way. God's telling you, hey, I want you to go down this path and at this bend, I want you to make a right. You're not going to what's going to happen on the other side of that right turn. But just trust me, I'm going to take care of it. Let me take the wheel. And you're in that car. Okay, God. That right turn happens. And you see something coming across again. God, you didn't tell me about this. And God's like, wait a second. I knew that was coming. I knew how to get around that. Would you just trust me? Would you allow my spirit to lead and guide you? Because you have two eyes. And my spirit can see everything. If we're truly children of God, we need to trust him. We need to let go and say, God, you guide me and lead me in every single way possible. If we're truly going to be children of God, we are led by the spirit and we surrender to his will. God, I'll let go of the wheel so you can drive this life. Not only are we led by the spirit, we're also adopted into his family. I love this one. Romans 8.15 tells us, so you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Come on. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba Father. Not only are we sons and daughters, but we are adopted children. Adopted. If a person was adopted in Paul's time as he was writing Romans, that individual immediately receives all the rights of the adult heir. The chief right that Paul mentions here is intimacy with God. We therefore can pray Abba, Father. And Abba is a term of intimacy meaning dad or papa or daddy. We can say it with complete assurance that our Lord is listening as a loving father to his children. Can I remind you today that being adopted means we walk in authority and not fear. Because we know who our dad is. We know who our father is. There's something amazing about this picture of adoption. Because something we need to remind ourselves about of adoption is that adoption is a choice. Let's be honest. When you were born, you had no choice of who your parents were. Right? You had no choice of who your family was, right? But in an adoption, a parent has the opportunity to choose a child. To say, wait a second, out of everybody else, I want you a part of my family. I want to take care of you. I want to love you. I want to guide you. I want to help you. And that's the beautiful picture of our relationship with Jesus. That of everybody else, he says, listen, I'm willing to die for you. I choose you. I want you to be in my family. But, but Jesus, you don't know what I've done. You don't know my issues. You don't know my circumstances. You don't know my ups and my downs, my, my mountaintops and my valleys. God, you don't know about that. He's like, oh, yes, I do. And I still choose you anyways. And it's not just a one-time choice. Can I tell you, he chooses you every single day. When you wake up, be reminded that Jesus still chooses you. He desires for you to be a part of his family no matter how messed up or dirty or how many issues you might have in your life. He says, let me clean you up and let me bring you a part of my family. Let me take care of you and guide you. 
I had the opportunity a few weeks ago to meet uh, or to visit, excuse me, to visit a, a, some good friends of ours that we've known for a very long time. And the cool thing about uh, the relationship we have with them and the story that me and my wife have with them is we were uh, a, a part of their story of them adopting their children. And uh, something I began to think about is why I was, I was playing with those two boys. They're 12 years old now, right? 12 years old. They don't have a care in the world. They've grown up since they were small infant babies that they were adopted by our friends. And they don't worry about life. They don't wonder about tomorrow. They're not worried about how they're going to eat or where they're going to get clothes or Because they know they've been adopted into a family that loves them so much. So much so that as, as, as part of the, the process, what we do in adoption is that we give them our name. We give them our name. They hold the last name of their parents. And their parents get to say that they are mine. And everything that the parents have and who they are, the rights go to those children that they've adopted. And that's what this passage is talking about for us. We are able to receive everything that God has to offer because he chose us. We're adopted into his family. He has given us his name. And he says, you don't have to worry about tomorrow. You don't have to worry about your issues. You don't have to worry about your circumstances because it doesn't matter where you've been or where you've come from. I've chosen you and now you're a part of my family. I will take care of you as your everlasting father. And lastly, not only are we led by the spirit as children of, of Jesus, adopted into his family, and lastly here, we are co-heirs with Christ. Romans chapter 8 verse 17. And since we are his children and we are his heirs, in fact, together with who? Oh, come on, say it loud. Together with who? We are heirs of God's glory. He's giving you his name. He's giving you everything he has to offer. But, and that's a big but, if we share or to share in his glory, we must also share in his suffering. You see, being co-heirs with Christ means we share in his glory and his suffering. Being adopted as God's children may come with extreme benefits, but it also carries with it intense responsibility. Yes, we are already heirs of God. He's chosen us. He's given us his name, his blessings, his glory. But we can only become co-heirs with Christ if we suffer with him as well. If we do suffer, we will be glorified with him. But if we shrink back in the day of trial we'll lose something very valuable. We have to be living our lives, understanding that yes, we have an opportunity to share in God's glory and what he wants to do with his blessings and all of his goodness. But if we're gonna share in Jesus' glory, we have to also share in his suffering. And that's a hard thing to understand. Because we go through this life sometimes and there's issues, there's circumstances and we wonder why. And God wants us to be reminded that we can't live our life with the temporary mind. 
If we're going to share in his glory, ultimately, not just now, but forevermore, we got to live with eternity in mind. And here's what I mean. I want to show you. I'm going to ask my amazing wife to help me right now. Pastor Sean, if you can help me too. Uh, here, stay here. Sean, grab this piece. Uh, Liz, can you help me too? If you guys can just grab this and stretch it all the way down. Yeah. Spread it out. Just spread it out. I got these extension cords, and it looks like candy canes. Getting into the holiday spirit, right? Tis the season. Tis the season. Amanda, come here. Grab a piece of this and just hold this up. Stretch it out. So as they stretch this out across, you see this is a very long extension cable, right? If you can stretch it out all the way, just stretch it out all the way. Lift it up as high as you can, not too high that you, your arms will get tired. But Here's what I want you to understand. Maybe some of you have seen this illustration, maybe, maybe some of you haven't, but I want to remind you of what eternity looks like. I want you to imagine this long, crazy long cable as eternity, right? This is when we spend forever with Jesus, Right? This is the everlasting that God is talking about. He begins at our conception in life, and he shows us all the way through the, hey, this is what I want you to be living for. But here's the problem. You see the end of this cable? This small end that plugs in? This is our life. This small piece is our life and the rest of it is eternity this is forever and imagine if this cable just kept going this is forever so I think the problem that we have sometimes is that we don't live our lives with the right perspective we live our lives With this in mind, how can I make the, the 80, 90, 100 years of my life the best? And we make our decisions based on this. We make our actions based on this. We make our, our, our life's choices on this. When we should be making our life's choices on all of this. You see... As a true child of the everlasting Father, you should be living your lives with eternity in mind. Because he wants you to share in his glory. But realize, listen, that while you share in the suffering as well, keep eternity in mind. Make your decisions. Make your choices with forever in mind. That the temporary life that we live here on earth, 70, 80, 90, 100 years, whatever it might be, it pales in comparison to all that God has to offer for forever. So the next time somebody offers something to you that's a choice that will help you in this life, ask yourself, is it going to help me in eternity? The next time you have a decision to make, you have to make a choice whether if it's going to be a good decision or a God decision. Ask yourself, is this going to be beneficial for me in eternity? Is this going to lead me towards eternity? Because if it doesn't, don't choose it. Thank you guys. You guys can be seated.
You can give it back to Danielle if you want. Give it back to Danielle. Now, I know some of you have been experiencing the suffering that I've been talking about here and what Christ even was going through. Maybe you've been experiencing some persecution. Maybe you've been experiencing some issues. Maybe you've been experiencing the trials and tribulations of life. Maybe you've been experiencing the fiery darts of the enemy. You might be going through a tough time right now, but let me remind you of Paul's words in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He says this, this is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every single day. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet, they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen. For the things that we see now will soon be gone, but the things that we cannot see will last what? Forever. You see, through our tough and undesired issues in life, we must remember that negative circumstances have a positive effect when we trust and obey God through them. They are producing for us an absolutely incomparable uh, eternal weight of glory. The pain and suffering of this life can truly be awful, yes. But when the input of affliction is compared to the output of glory that Christ is accomplishing on your behalf, we can truly see that there is no comparison. One truly outwears the other. We cannot focus on what is seen. We have to focus on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary and what is unseen is eternal. So if your trials and tribulations seem long and heavy, you're looking at the wrong thing. Let me put it another way. If all you see is what you see, then you do not see all there is to be seen. I'm going to say that again. I'm going to say it twice because it was nice. If all you see is what you see, then you do not see all there is to be seen. No, we shouldn't close our eyes to the reality of our suffering, but we in turn need to open our eyes by faith to unseen realities that will last forever. An eternal perspective gives the believer the ability to handle the struggles of life. Maybe you're here today, and you've been thinking, and you've been wondering, with everything you've been going through, I don't know if I want to serve God anymore. Maybe this life hasn't been good and pleasant to you and you're probably thinking, well, is this Jesus thing worth it? Or maybe you walked in here today heavy. This is your first time about hearing about hope. Can I tell you today, yes, you're going to share in his suffering, but can I remind you, you're also going to share in his glory. If we just stick out with him, if we stay obedient to him, and we live our life with eternity in mind, I promise you, it'll all be worth it. But you have a choice to make today. Some of you, some of us here today, have to take a moment and an opportunity to have a heart check. Am I really having a good relationship with my everlasting father? 
Am I letting him guide me? Am I letting him love me? Am I letting him discipline me? And if you haven't started a relationship with him today, can I tell you, there is no time like the present. Don't wait on this. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask everybody to bow your heads and close your eyes all across this place. And the reason I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes, it has nothing to do with anything spiritual. It has nothing to do with anything magical or anything like that. It has to do with the simple fact that I just want you to stop, pause, and reflect. And you close your eyes so you can focus. So right now in this moment, I want you to think. And I want you to reflect. I want you to reflect about your life. The decisions you made before you walk into this place here today. How's your week been? How's your month been? How's your journey of life been leading up to this moment? Now, if you're honest with yourself, you could probably say, well, Pastor Christian, I, it's not the best. I've made some mistakes. I've had ups and downs. I've maybe even had some suffering in my life recently. that's you, let me remind you here today, the everlasting Father is here for you today. The one who protects, the one who loves, the one who forgives, the one who disciplines, the one who guides, the one who is there for you always and forever. He's available to you today. So if you're here right now in this moment, and you're saying, Oh, Pastor Christian, I, I believe that. I believe that the everlasting Father is available to hear, for here to me today. And if you believe that, I ask you to make a decision to make him your Lord and Savior. Maybe it's your first time, or maybe this is your opportunity to rededicate your life to him again. This is your moment and your opportunity. Don't you miss out on it. So if you're here today, and you say, I need to receive the love of the everlasting Father here today. I believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. I believe of what he done on the cross for me. And I believe that I should live my life with eternity in mind, not with the temporary mind. If that's you, when I count to three, I just want you to raise your hand all across this room. With nobody looking around, with all heads, eyes closed, all heads bowed, eyes closed, I encourage you right now in this moment to be bold and to be brave. And when you raise your hand, I will see it. But most of all, God will see it. So one, come on, this is your moment. Two, don't hesitate for one second. Three, all across this room. Come on. Wow. Come on. I see people here down here at the floor, bottom. I see a couple hands in the balcony. Wow, thank you. Thank you for being brave. Thank you for being courageous. You put your hands down. I'm going to ask everybody all across this room, would you stand with me right now? Come on, let's stand all across this room. you're joining us in the room or whether you're joining us online, 
I firmly believe as we pray in this moment right now and you make a decision for Jesus Christ to be Lord and Savior of your life, I firmly believe that he's going to invade your space, whether it's in here or online. I believe he's going to invade your space, wrap his lover, ever love, everlasting loving arms around you and remind you of who he is and how he loves you so much. So as we pray to you together, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to pray over you, but I'm going to ask you to pray too. And what simply prayer is, is that you talking to God. And what talking to God means is that you talk to him like you would talk to your neighbor, your friend, or your loved one. Tell him what's on your heart. Ask him to forgive you. Let him know that you need him. Let him know that you desire him, that you're going to honor him, that you're going to let him lead you every single way in your life. So more than what I'm saying, what's important is what you're saying. So whether you're in the room or online, I encourage you right across this place, as I pray, you pray as well and talk to God. Use your voice. He wants to hear you. Father, right now in this moment, I pray for every single person that is serious about getting the relationship right with you. You are a good father to us. You are our everlasting father, the father of eternity. So, Father, we acknowledge and recognize your sacrifice. We honor and recognize your commitment. We honor and recognize your love. We honor and recognize that, God, we need you more than we need the things of this world. So, Father, we're sorry. We're sorry for the decisions that we've made, for the paths that we've walked down, for the things that we've done, for the rebellion in our life God we're sorry and we come back to you we say God you have all of me would you wrap your loving arms around me God and remind me of your love remind me of your grace remind me of your mercy and remind me today God that you still choose me so God I pray that for every single person here today in this room and online the Father, we would embrace your love and let your love guide us and change us from the inside out. We believe it and we love you for it, Lord Jesus. We pray these things in your mighty name. And everybody said, amen. Come on, everybody said amen. If this ministry is making an impact in your life, why not help us make an impact on the lives of others by partnering with us today? You can give through our CLC app or at clcftl.org forward slash give. Thank you for listening and remember to subscribe for more inspiring messages like this. Now go and be messengers of hope.